You're listening to the Straight to Video Podcast with Rob Lane. What's up, everybody, and welcome along to the Straight to Video Podcast. Today's chat is a fun one for me as I got to spend some time with my friend, drummer, and bandmate, Mickey Richards. I need to apologize in advance, though, as my weird, slightly faux British-American accent, which I seem to slip into for these podcasts in an attempt to make me sound a little more professional, goes totally out the window, and my true local accent comes to the forefront when talking to Mickey. Plus, I do swear a lot more than normal, so I guess I can blame him for that one, right? Mickey has been on a slightly different musical journey to a lot of us local guys. Much like all of us, he began the normal route, falling in love with rock and roll, working hard in different bands and finding his niche in the local scene, before ducking out for a few years, before events in his life made him realise he should be out doing what he truly loved, playing the drums. And he got back out there and much respect to him, he's gone from strength to strength over the last few years and become a much in-demand player. Although from similar areas, Mickey and I didn't really become friends until maybe 10 years ago. It was kind of the case we had a bunch of the same friends, but our paths never seemed to cross. I think we eventually began to know who each other was, but I believe it was our mutual love of the band Enough's Enough that brought us together properly when they played at Download in 2010, I believe, when we actually got to hang out and strike up a friendship. Since then, we've shared the stage in several projects, starting with getting the chance to be the touring band for Johnny Monaco before we teamed up as the UK arm of People on Vacation. When that band sadly split, we continued as the rhythm section for Ryan, where we still are to this day. It's been quite the ride, and Mickey himself has also taken on touring duties with the likes of the Dolly Rots, which took him on a US tour, and also several runs with Jizzy Pearl of Love 8. Like I said earlier, Mickey may have been away from the scene for some time, but he's certainly made up for it since. We had some fun catching up and diving back into Mickey's early days and his journey in music, and I think it's only fitting we dedicate this episode to our late friend Ian Blind Lemon Campbell, who sadly passed away a few years ago. Ian played a big part in both our lives, but I know Mickey misses this guy a lot, as they were great bandmates and friends for a long, long time. So, this one's for you, Lem. I think it'll make you chuckle. I can hear you, all right. <laughs> You're like a fucking proper radio star. I'm not fucking about here. I'll tell you. You've got the snapcatcher and everything. <laughs> <laughs> so, how was it growing up in the 70s around Colville where they made actual Star Wars toys? Was that a big deal as a kid or didn't you realise it at the time? No, um, 1977. 
think we didn't get it to 1978, did we, over here, Star Wars? My auntie Norma, she worked at Palatoy. And, God, I wish I'd still got some of the stuff because we weren't a wealthy family when we grew up and mum would get, like, the cast-offs from Palatoy. I can remember having Super Striker. You remember that when you used to hit the head bloke with the head and he kicked, yeah? Two of them had got their heads on back to front, right? If I'd got that now, can you imagine what that thing would be worth it for mint in the box? <laughs> you know, so, you know, we, we always got stuff uh, from there. And, of course, I only live five minutes away from where the elusive dumping ground was for Star Wars toys, where people travel, believe it or not, from all over the globe to come and see if they can dig it up. Well, they should probably ask me first because I remember it was – it's probably – 100 foot down the road level from where it was when when i was a kid it was a bizarre time is there an actual point then where they think those things are buried yeah i'll take you to it we used to get, we used to go as kids we used to go across skip across the back of the, the woods uh, over the fence and they would literally tip and we used to get the heads up i think it was a thursday if my memory's right uh and they come and tip because one of the girls in the village next village uh her dad used to be work on the bin man's and he used to do the collection and he used to just tell us when they were coming and drop them and there'd be a load of action men and stuff and we'd, we'd scavenge it until before they come and filled it all in. All right, so this was like before the famous Star Wars drop. Yeah, yeah, this was this was all the time. There was everything you could think of. There was like, you know, three-eyed Barbies or whatever they were and you know, tiny tears and all that. So you don't want none of that, you left that. But the action man stuff, <laughs> you know, you couldn't fill your bag quick enough. <laughs> awesome, I love it. So when it came to the music side of things, are there any other members of your family or musical? No, not one. I don't know where I got it from, to be honest. My dad, he was he loved he loved piano playing. He wished he played piano. That's what I do remember. He always said he wished he took the piano up, but never did. No, I'm the only one. I'm the only one. Uh, took it up when I was ten years old. What was it? You see somebody on top of the pops or something like that? Yeah, yeah. I, I can tell you what it was. It's 1978. I sat watching Top of the Pops and Clem Burke come on Blondie. And he got this, he looked dead snazzy, he got this like red suit on playing this red sparkle Premier drum kit. And of course, Premier is in Leicester, you know, and that's only like 15 miles away from here. So he's playing, and I just sat with my mouth open watching this bloke hit these drums, you know, looking so cool, you know, Debbie Harry up front, you know, what's not to love about that? And uh, that was it. Just the bugger got me. And I, I just pestered then that I really wanted to play the drums. Just so happened that we had a drummer that moved into the village, of course, you know, so. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about that then for people who don't know the whole story. Oh, right. Well, um, Malcolm Allure from Shiwadiwadi moved into the village in the mid-70s. And uh, <laughs> I always remember when he, when he, he pulled in, he got this banana yellow Corvette Stingray. You know, you could hear it coming from about five villages away. And uh, he lived just down the road. He bought the pub, the Traveller's Rest. Uh, he became friendly with my dad. And, and between them, uh, when I wanted to uh, get a bit more serious about it, I asked him for a kit if my dad if he'd buy me one, which... He went and did a deal with Malk. I think he swapped him a set of stairs because my dad was a builder. Swapped him a set of stairs for a drum kit. Uh, and I had this uh, this wonderful Premier Chrome drum kit, which is it's actually on the back of one of Shawadi Wadi's albums. And uh, it was set up in my bay window. And Malk used to come up and teach me like once a week, maybe. And it was it was it was bizarre because you'd see him on top of the pops on a Thursday, fr- you know, Friday night, it'd be in my front room. You know, it was for a 10-year-old, it was, you know, mind-blowing. But 
Oh, that guy a lot. He's uh, he, he put me on a good good path. How, obviously, you've known him well all your life, pretty much. How was he then compared to how he is now? Because he's still the big character. Oh, he's not changed a bit. He's not changed a bit. You know, you you can ne- never get bored if you're in the room with that man. He's got so many stories. He could hold court even if you don't want to listen. You'll be listening because I'll make sure you're listening. Is <laughs> that character? <laughs> what were some of the most important things he taught you? Can you think of anything off top? Yet. Other than drumming, did he give you any kind of insights into the industry? Well, well, if he did, I mean, I can't remember. I mean, I was like ten or eleven years old. No, it was it was just uh, practice. Keep practicing. Of course, you know, when when you see somebody that's on the telly and it's doing it's like exactly what you want to do, you know, you listen. So I did. I, I just I just ran with it and tried to be a rock star. But when you live in Griffey Dam, you know, <laughs> it ain't that easy. <laughs> So what else was influencing your taste? Where was you like buying music from and stuff like that? The nearest place to, to where we used to go was a place in Colville, the market. I used to get my stuff, my pocket money, and I'd go to Colville Market on a Saturday morning, either catch the bus and nip up with my mum, and I'd buy the majority of it there. But then we found Donington Market, which was like the big mecca. You know, every Sunday, Donington Market. And you could buy any new album, any new album for like, two quid because they were all hooky cassettes you know but they look great so most of my music collection came from there i bought all my kiss stuff from there all the, the good stuff that I, I bought was through donington market and colville market uh record shops we didn't really venture out of, of the area much so in colville ashby there was a place in ashby there's a place in uh colville called i think it's called what records um but we never had any there's no hmv around or um anything like that if we wanted that we'd have to go on a saturday morning to uh leicester to aimless was there a bunch of your mates all into it at the same time no i'd one of my, my best friends, uh, Martin, he was a mod and he used to go around with his parker on and his who patches all over it and I'd have my denim jacket on with my ACDC patches <laughs> stuff. <laughs> well, the right pair of, yeah, whatever. <laughs> he couldn't get to grips when I was listening to and, uh, I, you know, I, I kind of like what he was into. I'm very broad-minded musically, but he didn't get the, the, the waft of patchouli oil or whatever it is. <laughs> Didn't understand it. So where was you hearing about, let's say, rock music and stuff? I mean, you were hearing like your Blondie, which is still still pop music, pop rock kind of stuff. But where did like hard rock begin to come into the picture? Came into it from stealing my brother's albums. I mean, he was uh, he was a big rock guy, and uh, he loved like bands like Bad Company, White Snake, Van Halen. That was my introduction to Van Halen. And again, that would have been about 70, 78, 79. My first concert I went to was White Snake. I think one of my brother's friends dropped out and he got nobody to go with. So it's like, well, you can come if you want to sort of thing. And it's like, okay. But that was it. Blew me away. First gig, De Montfort Hall, 19... It would have been 79 or 1980. But yeah, that was when my love of, of rock came from. Listening to stuff he got, like Sammy Hagar. I mean, I wore the Loud and Clear album out. When I heard him do Space Station Number 5, uh, and then, of course, then you dig back into the, it was Montrose that did it and you just keep going back and back. And just that, just like listening to what my brother was listening to. And then he kind of like, he plateaued at that. And then he went off into Swing Out Sister and all of that stuff at the time, I think it was, where I was just searching for everything that I could that was all things rock, really. So speaking about live gigs and stuff, um, White Snake, who supported him? Can you remember? I can, yeah. It was Gary Moore's band, G-Force they were called, and he sacked the bass player on the night. On stage? I can understand why. <laughs> <laughs> the bass players. He, uh, yeah, on stage. 
uh, it, they came out and something wasn't right and the bass player looked all and uh, it went, but Gary Moore went up to the mic and said, fired. <laughs> and meant it. And the bass player then just sat at the back all night and just stood playing his parts and kind of like walked off dragging his lip. How many songs in was that? Pretty much straight up. Yeah, I don't think his bass was plugged in. Something went radically wrong. But yeah, fired him on the night. But again, I mean, you got Gary Moore as, as your opening act for your first introduction to rock music, and it, it wasn't too bad, really, not too shabby. That. What was the Thin Lizzy gig you've told me about? Oh God, yeah. Again, went with my brother. I first saw them on the uh, Renegade tour, which was uh, with Snowy White on guitar. <laughs> again, I'd, I'd be what twelve, thirteen, probably. I remember um, filling it with his bass. He got the black Fender with the um, mirror scratch plate. He was like flashing it at people like this, and of course, I'm. On the, I'm on the balcony and I'm right, right at the front trying to get, you know, good views. And uh, I never think, he, he points this thing at me, shines it straight in my eyes and puts his fists up to me. I'm like, yes! It's like I've won the lottery, you know. I've been spotted by Phil Lynott. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, that was the Renegade tour. And then I, I got to see him on the Thunder and Lightning tour. Uh, and it was only probably about six months before he died. But yeah, incredible. So glad I got to see him. So glad I got to see Van Halen in the original format too. And that was at the uh, Monsters of Rock, right? That was the one, yeah, 1984. That was a game changer. How aware of Monsters of Rock was you before then? Because obviously it's just literally just down the road from you. I'd always wanted to go since since, the, since day one, but you know how it is. I mean, I think when I was in 1984, I'd have been 15. Just wasn't old enough. I don't think my parents weren't prepared to let me go and... <laughs> on my own and there's no way they'd have gone you know so uh yeah it was 15 till i got out but the, the excitement of it and the buzz of, of seeing people you know cars and the and the vehicles and the and stuff going through the village we would sometimes see that they'd take a wrong turn and you'd see the big trans am trucks going through the village because they, they've missed the a 42 well they weren't the a 42 at the time but they missed the m1 turning they'd end up coming through griffey dam and heading out to castle donington that way you know it was like wow one day, David Lee Roth, look at all the people in Griffey Dam. <laughs> oh my God. That was just incredible. That that whole the whole show. I still say now, I don't think there's ever been a better lineup than that in 1984. But that was your first exposure to Motley Crue as well, right? It was. I mean, I'd, I'd heard of them because I'd, I'd bought uh, Shout at the Devil from Gone Into Market, of course. So I'd, I'd, I'd heard of them, but I'd never seen, I'd seen the odd picture in Kerrang, which again, as you know, is like the Bible. Um, so I'd seen a few pictures, but never experienced anything quite like it. And never been to an open air show, so I didn't know what I was to expect. To listen to uh, Tommy Lee open up when they, they opened the show with Bastard, which is just drums, to hear those toms and snare just coming out at God knows how many decibels. Just blew me away. I was just like a kid in a sweet shop. It's just, wow, <laughs> this is unreal. It's what I want to do. It's what I want to be. Who did you go with? You didn't go on your own, your own obviously. No, no. Well, there was quite a few of us that went, but I can only remember one, a guy called Andy Underwood. That was, or still is, a remarkable guitarist. He was, uh, I mean, he was playing, we were at school in, in a school band, um, and we'd be 13. That guy's playing Eruption, you know, note for note at 13. God knows why he didn't carry on. Uh, I know he didn't because I've, I've seen him quite recently. I know he didn't carry it on. He still plays, but he didn't take it up professionally. You know, he, he was a wise one and got real job and uh yeah a, a remarkable talent and i went with him nowadays i mean back then you think how did they do it you walked in and they gave you uh cigarettes as you walked through the door as soon as you came through the gate you know there was, there was these dolly birds dressed up in their in their hot pants and t-shirts embassy written on them and there's your free embassy cigarettes 
So I was taking them and I'm running around the side and going against some more and whatever, and then ended up flogging them. Entrepreneur Richards. <laughs> You've got you to try, haven't you? How was it seeing Van Halen? Was you ready for it? Oh, my God. That was the, the big one. That really was, yeah. And, of course, and when Diamond Dave comes on and he's skipping across the stage, you just, you know, you just can't explain what it was like, you know, for somebody in the 15 that you've never seen anything quite like it. And I don't think I'll ever see anything quite like it again. I know I know, there's bands, you know, which are on par and, and probably much better. But when you're 15 years old and you see Eddie Van Halen playing his guitar the way he does and Alex and it doesn't get any better than that. Just can that moment. I would have that moment forever. Talk us through some of your early bands. Um, what was the first band you were in? Um, first, first one was uh, a school band called The Undertakers. Shocking. Guy, saxophone player, uh, you know, <laughs> played about two notes. Sounded better blow my nose. <laughs> All coming out of that thing. Again, you have to start somewhere. So, yeah, The Undertakers was the first band. There was a few, like, bits and bobs that we used to throw around, and, and we never gigged anywhere, but it was just, like, rehearsals, covers and stuff. Then I went and joined a band called Cat's Chorus when I when I joined them, but that changed to Ragamuffin. <laughs> and then, you know, and, and that was when I'd be about 18, I guess, and everybody then wanted to be either in Motley Crue, Rat, Poison, you know, all, all of these glam bands. So we all had our air back home. But <laughs> it was bizarre because my mum and dad were so, so like meat and potatoes, straight, you know, anything like that, you're weird, son. There's something wrong with you. So, and I couldn't, uh, I couldn't go out like that. It had strung me up. So I had to literally, I'd, I'd put my hairspray and my makeup in the in a bag and get dressed up to go out like, with my jeans and a t shirt on. And then I'd have to go down the singer's house and get doled up while we back home there and stuff before we went out to the clubs where was you going to what where was you hanging out at um well just local bars and stuff around here can you imagine you know what it's like around here it's like it's like being glammed up and going through ena you know <laughs> people either want to kiss you kill you <laughs> one of the two so uh it was a bit uh it was a bit raucous it was always some kind of shenanigans going on so what kind of shows was you playing was there a good audience did you have to travel far the field no, I mean, again, you know, you think, oh, we certainly did. You know, you could be a rock star if you lived, it didn't matter where you lived. You know, we didn't have the foresight to see that, you know, if you really want to make something, you've got to move into the cities. Uh, we thought we could do it from Griffidham, Wittick, Pegs Green, you know, all these little villages. <laughs> so, you know, you give it a go, don't you? Of course you do. We, we played just local gigs, really. I, I think the furthest we went was maybe Nottingham. Did you ever do like the whole demo tape thing, sending it out to record labels? We did. We did. The, we sent it out. We were on the Friday Rock Show once with Tommy Vance. I'm so proud of the fact that we got this demo and it's on Tommy Vance's Rock Wars. So I'm sitting, I made my mum and dad listen to it. And then he says, uh, he calls me Nicky for a start. Nicky Richards. That was it. I was like destroyed. And he also said that the rhythm guitarist, he says, um, he called himself Scrag Tag. He says, Scrag Tag on guitar and drums. I'm like, what? He even took that from me as well. Oh, the worst. I can feel your pain on that one. That's kind yeah. of like when you get your photo in the local paper and they spell your name wrong. Yeah. Of course, my dad's he's wheezing with laughter because they've got my name wrong. And they've even put down that the guitarist played the drums on it. So it's like, I'll get my coat, Dad. I'm off. <laughs> Unreal. I kind of like set the, the scene for the rest of my music career. <laughs> Tell us how you met Ian Campbell, Lemon. Oh, 
He was, uh, I was in a band called the Beef Burger Brothers. Yeah, I know. Names of your band. Unreal. <laughs> they can't get more British Midlands. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, I, it was a shocking name. However, it was always, that they were a legendary band around these parts. They'd been going for donkey's years. If you ever got to play with them, it means that you'd kind of like climbed a bit of a ladder because they would only have the good guitarists or the good sax player or the good drummer. If you managed to play with them, you'd done something. And I was fortunate enough at the time to be asked to play drums for them. So it's like, okay, done something. I've got to play with these guys. And... Um, Lemon was a, a big fan of that band. He'd followed them for ages. He used to turn up and it's like, he'd like come and say, I can sing, you know, I'm a good singer. So, like, hey, yeah, yeah. We got, he got a big mustache, you know, <laughs> that'll have to go. <laughs> and we didn't have a ribbon. He's like, no, but I can sing, I do the blues and everything. So, anyway, I think we caved in one night and just said, well, come on, then you can come up and sing a slow blues thing with us. <laughs> and he just got up and he just turned from, from Ian Campbell into this monster that was Blind Lemon. And uh, he, that was it. He was just, oh, my God, this guy can sing. And this stage presence he's got was just was just captivating. He used to come up, he'd follow his round, and he'd come up and he'd do one song. It got to the point where he was doing five or six. Then it got to the point where the singer of the band, when the guitarist, who was the main guy of the Beef Burger Brothers, put his nose out of joint because people were coming to see Lemon. It, it went from six songs back to five, four, three. And then it, it, Ian's like, well, it's no point becoming anymore. I mean, it's only, I'm up again for one. So um, Ian just says to me, he says, you fancy just doing something separate? And it were getting that hostiles, and probably not the word, but it was just not a nice atmosphere anymore in that unit. So we just broke ranks. Me and the uh, bass player um, went with Lem. We formed Blind and Dangerous. And uh, we had many, many good years at that. You know, playing the clubs and stuff. What time frame was that? Uh, early nineties. I remember it was. It would have been. We, we recorded the album in ninety four. I know Lem was an F one fan, and I remember I was playing snooker. I'd done my drum parts, and I was watching the TV, and it was the day Ayrton Senna had crashed and died. Cost me being me, just running like a bull in a china shop. It's like you'll never guess. Ayrton Senna's dead. Hey, like he just destroyed him. It was like, you know, like, oh, forgot you're a crazy fan. But uh, he's, I, I think about him all the time. He, you know, we had some magic times and um, I, I, I learned a lot from him. You know, he was, uh, he, he was a bit like me. He was a bit of a stubborn old bugger, you know, but I like that about him. What were some of the things he taught you, do you reckon? What What have you took with you? He was one plain John Bull straight down the line, you know, and he's he kind of like moulded from my dad. You know, if, if something's wrong, say it's wrong. You know, if something's right, say it's right. But always be man enough to apologise if you're wrong. And I think if everybody took that way of thinking, I think the world would probably be a better place, to be honest. I don't think, I think you should always say what you feel. I don't think you should be rude when you come across and say it. But I think everybody should be like that. And and Lem was, was one of those straight talking. If he didn't like it, he'd tell you he didn't like it. But there'd be a reason behind it, you know. It wouldn't just be terrible again i see myself in him a lot a good guy a good guy for sure man for sure how do you feel about meeting your heroes you've shared some time with clem beck for the most part it's been really positive right you know what i heard some horror stories about clem i was i was like oh my god you know you don't want to, you don't want to meet your hero and you, you find out he's a bit of a dick so i was i was really nervous about it but when we were both on tour with him there was one moment i was in the dressing room and it was just me and him and i just i wanted to say something and i couldn't say anything 
and he broke the ice uh, and we just started talking about drums and it's like and anyway it just flowed out of him and he was honestly the nicest guy you can see that he's got a bit of a spark to him that if something's not i think right he'll he's gonna let you know but that's not a bad thing um but i find him nothing to be nothing but uh, you know a lovely bloke very positive very courteous genuinely good bloke so finally, is there anything you kind of miss from those like early days of rehearsing and gigging? I know it's kind of rose tinted spectacles and all that kind of stuff, but just the vibe of those early bands. If I think about it too much, I feel I think I kind of like miss the boat. You know, I go back and think, why didn't I just do this? You know, and I'm full of what ifs. You, you try and be the rock star as we all have when you when you're a teenager, and that's what we all want to be. You know, and you, I got to like my twenties, and it's like, yeah, this isn't going to happen proper job sort of thing, you know, and it, it took the death of my mother to understand that, you know, life's very short and you should, you know, grasp it with both hands. And uh, it was at that, that point I realised that drumming is in my veins and I just need to be able to see if I can, you know, make a living out of it. And uh, so at that point, that's when it's like the nine to five was pushed to one side and we'll start again. And you just kind of like, hopefully, you have a knock-on effect. And, and it, it kind of worked, you know, to an extent. It's a very brave jump, man. Well, I mean, it's, you know, mum, she she passed away in her sleep. You know, she she wasn't ill. She There was nothing that we that we knew she was ill with. She just went to sleep one night, didn't wake up. And when you think, have I accomplished everything I want to accomplish? You know, no, I haven't. But that was a bloody good time to start, you know, as a wake-up call. So that's what I did. And then I just went from band to band, just hopping around. And then, and then I met you, and then it all went downhill. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> it was going so well. <laughs> right, good to see you, mate. All right, mate. And uh, I shall speak to you soon. All right, pal. See you later. Well, there you go. was mr mickey richards hope that one was fun to listen to and our local ramblings weren't too hard to decipher you can find mickey on social media by searching mfr drums on facebook twitter and instagram and hopefully mickey will be out on the road playing again and doing what he does best sometime soon thank you everyone for the continued support of the straight to video podcast please continue to like share follow and if you listen on apple podcasts a review would be amazing Hopefully over the next few months you'll be hearing about some changes as the podcast begins to grow and branch out a little, so I'm hoping for some exciting times ahead. Until then though, I've been your host Rob Lane, and as ever, I look forward to speaking to you all again real soon. <laughs>